Let's catch up with our good friend Richard Zussman, Global BC's legislative reporter. A lot of political questions today in and around uh, school boards. Uh, we've also got lots to talk about about vaccines. We were talking to Adrian Dix earlier today on that issue, and of course, daylight savings times as well. Uh, Richard, thank you for joining us. I will not be watching the Oscars, Jazz. I don't. <laughs> We hear, we hear although, kids. although I try to watch all the movies that get nominated for Best Picture, but the movies are far more interesting than the award show themselves. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And you know, it's just too long. If you're going to dedicate three to four hours in front of the TV, it better be the Super Bowl. That's my response to that. <laughs> and I like movies, but uh, I think I've watched maybe one or two this year at, at most. And I just think there's too much choice now. I just, uh, I, I think there's so much choice, so much to do that award shows, and it's not just the Oscars, but the Oscars especially, you know, they, they're just not as culturally relevant for whatever no, reason. They're all. just not, right? It's, it's boring. They don't have the same cultural tie-in like the Super Bowl does with the ads and the big halftime show, plus a football game built into all of that. You know, if I need to know who won Best Picture, uh, I can go on the Global News website when the awards are over and find out who won Best Picture. Yep. There, there's nothing... You know, obviously the slap last year brought back some relevancy, but I don't expect we're ever going to see anything quite like that again. <laughs> I, I guess that was a cultural moment in its own way, but uh, you're absolutely <laughs> right up for all the wrong reasons. So give us a call on our buzz line. want to hear from you, though. Uh, do you think the Oscars are relevant and will you be watching? 604-331-2899. Well, Richard, let's talk about some of the political news um, before us today. We learned uh, yesterday that the Central Okanagan School District, which is based in Kelowna, announced that a 15-minute comment period where I guess public are allowed uh, to speak on the topic of their choice was cancelled at the board meeting, which is uh, on March 8th. Turns out the school districts, according to the school district's news release, there were a group of individuals who made dis- discriminatory comments, uh, and uh, basically those comments were specifically anti-LGBTQ in sentiment and in language. Of course, this comes um, just from a few weeks ago. We had the Mission School Board Chair, uh, Shelley Carter, on her program, and they had banned an anti-LGBTQ group from presenting it at their meetings following an inappropriate presentation as well. Take a listen to her comments uh, that she made on this program just a couple weeks ago. That became, after about three frames, became clear that they were, you know, sharing a screen with hateful and disturbing information. Myself and another trustee were saying, you know, you cannot show this. We have children on our, our Zoom calls that could possibly be in the room with the parents. And, and so we took it down quickly. This is what led to our banning. They broke our presentation procedures, our meeting procedures. Now, a lot of the com- complaints, as, as I said, were anti-LGBTQ. It's also specific to uh, the school program of SOGI 123, which is basically a set of policies and programs which has been adopted by the BC, uh, BC education system, which is um, aiming to sort of create uh, ex- inclusive classrooms. And it's one that uh, the NDP and the BC Liberals and all in the legislature have uh, supported. So, Richard, my, my question to you is, a lot of this was, um, you're, you're hearing a little bit about this during the last civic election and school board elections across this province on October 15th and before that. You're still seeing these conversations, as we saw with Kelowna now, and of course prior to that in Mission. What do you think is causing all this? Is it just the, the backlash to Soji, or is this a broader cultural conversation? Yeah, it's a much broader cultural conversation, and, and Soji is a point where they can... Uh, hold on to. So the organization in question in mission is called Action for Canada. We've seen this organization before. Uh, um, they hold views that are anti-LGBTQ+. Um, 
you know, we're fortunate we live in a society that allows for broad debate and broad conversations and protest, uh, but we do not allow uh, for hate-filled conversations. And I think this is a, a larger phenomenon we're seeing, and, and you spoke to this about, we've seen it south of the border in the United States as well, this idea to show up at public meetings, take over the agenda uh, with your message, and try to influence decisions from elected officials uh, due to that. I think, you know, for anyone who's covered uh, city councils or, or gone to those meetings, these public part of it can drag on and drag on and drag on, but it's an important part of our system to allow, you know, members of the community to have their voice. But when that starts spilling into um, hate, uh, rhetoric, rhetoric against uh, part members of our community, then it becomes problematic. And I, and I worry that this is a larger trend, not just tied to one policy, but in terms of opposition to a number of uh, what people describe as, as progressive policies. And, and the opposition is largely rooted in, in religious concerns. And I, and I worry about the erosion of our public dialogue because of it. Yeah, and, and I also worry about just public safety for elected officials uh, as well and when they are threatened, pushed, prodded. And look, sometimes these conversations are very heated, and I understand that. I was a former school board reporter in my early days as a reporter in the 90s, and things can be quite heated and people are engaged. Uh, but this is, as you say, a broader cultural uh, event uh, that is occurring in the United States and across Canada here. And more and more, uh, those cultural forces are, are making their way into British Columbia. And I do worry that these, this doesn't escalate because it has escalated significantly in the United States. Um, the allegations are way over the top in regards to what they think is happening. I mean, these are programs that are agreed by elected officials on all parties. It's about promoting inclusivity, nothing more, nothing less. But they believe this is a broader cultural force uh, uh, that is, um, I, I guess, taking apart or pushing back against traditional family values and perhaps what is taught in some religious institutions. I don't know. But it's a very wide sort of allegation, isn't it? Yeah, and it's and it's it's important to note, and, and and you mentioned this, and I was going to get to this because it's not all of one religion or mm-hmm. all values based on one religion. These are very specific groups within uh, a religion that are uh, have beliefs that are firmly against LGBTQ plus members of our community, and. Uh, you know, my kids are in the system. They have gone through the SOGI system. We have these conversations at home around conversations of sexual identity and gender identity. And these, this is what it's supposed to lead to. And, and part of the arguments that are made by some of these groups is that this is brainwashing, that they are, you know, in essence, using SOGI to convince children that they are transgender or they are gay or they, you know, are all, you know, are on the LGBTQ plus spectrum. Um, that is not what is happening in my understanding or anyone else's understanding largely. And and that is the, the problem is, as you said, it is getting torqued out of whack. Uh, and what we hear from some of these groups, the groups that have been banned is not rooted in the reality. And that's the problem. If we can have dialogue and conversation rooted in reality, then let's have that conversation. But when you take over public meetings with arguments that are not rooted in the reality of the conversation, then that is a problem. And and I think school boards are smart now to react and 
they allowed it larger to fester in the United States under the guise of freedom of speech to allow people, in essence, to have their their say, uh, to restrict conversations that are not rooted in reality is not taking away people's freedom of speech. It's taking away people's ability to lie in public. We are speaking to Richard Zussman, Global BC's legislative reporter. We were talking about a few things um, that are on the political slate. We were talking a little bit about um, right-wing candidates going after school boards. Uh, And now let's uh, move on with our conversation. We were speaking to Health Minister Adrian Dix earlier in the show. And today they announced that the BC Public Service employees will no longer be required to provide proof of vaccination against COVID-19. However, the government did say employees who work in healthcare facilities will still need to be vaccinated. Uh, Richard, uh, do you see a time where they will reverse that uh, decision? I know it's up to the uh, uh, provincial health officer, Bonnie Henry, but do you see them ever reversing that anytime soon? So I asked about exactly that today, Jazz, and and I don't see it. I I think the move next is to embed it into the contract that healthcare workers sign. So every healthcare worker that works in hospital or long-term care setting will be required to be vaccinated against COVID-19 in order to do that job. It was interesting because Dr. Henry left some ambiguity to it when answering uh, the question earlier. Uh, but I think based on the answer that she then provided subsequently and, and that Minister Dix provided, my expectation is they are going to make it part of the long-term contract. They believe that this is going to be a virus like the flu that is with our community for a long time. Uh, those on the front lines work with the most vulnerable and therefore uh, they should be protected as such. So uh, although you know we're seeing this, the rescinding of the um, order when it comes to vaccine mandates per the public service, healthcare workers, because of the setting in which they work, uh, is a very different situation. And, and it's interesting because we're largely going at it alone here, Jazz. Uh, most other provinces have rescinded that order in the healthcare sector, and uh, BC uh, is not going to do so, and, and it looks like it's going to become a permanent thing as well. Uh- Political ramifications because of that? As you said, the other provinces have gone in a different direction and we're sort of the lone wolf here. Sure. Um, what is the concern for the government on this one? It is a political loser for the BC Liberals here who have said that they would like to see healthcare workers who were fired for not getting a shot come back. But on the on the flip side, the reason it's a loser is this is one of the most popular policies that this government has put in. I think, you know, and yes, The polling could change over time, but I think the last number I remember seeing jazz is more than 70% of British Columbians support the idea of healthcare workers being mandated to be vaccinated in a healthcare setting. And, um, you know, we will see uh, what unfolds as we see, um, you know, the the virus change, but uh, it is just an understanding that we know the science indicates that you have you know, lower risk of severe illness, lower risk of, of spreading the virus if you are vaccinated and have that immunity because of it. So mm. I, I, I expect we'll continue to have that political conversation largely around times respiratory illness season, uh, especially if uh, hospitals are closing and things like that and we need staff. But I think for now, uh, fighting against this policy is a political loser. Hmm. Uh, final question to you, daylight savings time. Uh, uh, where are we when it comes to the premier's mindset and this government's mindset? Is the question of just uh, waiting for the yeah. U.S. To, to get their act together and then we're ready to go? 
UConn went at it alone. They made the decision uh, to get rid of the seasonal time changes. Here in British Columbia, we are not willing to go at it alone. I asked the Premier about that earlier this week. Uh, He said we are waiting for the states. Uh, I spoke to Tara Holmes today uh, for my show Focus BC on BC One. Uh, She's the one that started the petition on this uh, so long ago now, it seems. And she says we do work with Alberta all the time. They're on a different time zone, an hour apart. What harm would it do for us half of the year? to be in a different time zone uh, than our friends along the coast in Oregon, California, and Washington. It's a valid point. Premier doesn't hear it. And now we'll have a bunch of upset British Columbians on Sunday and Monday as they lose an hour of sleep. <laughs> so we will, we will see. They're getting closer in the States, Jazz, to do it. You know, it's, but the, the political the system there is just so challenging and getting things through the house is so challenging that I'm not holding my breath anymore like it used to be that we're going to get rid of these seasonal time changes in BC. But yeah, we'll see. you think it'd be a nonpartisan issue, but uh, one thing America does well, they can polarize anything. So there, yeah. you go. <laughs> there you go. Richard, thanks for your time, my friend. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. You too. Thanks, Jess.